Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight's story, The Last Leaf, by O. Henry. In a little district west of Washington Square, the streets have run crazy and broken themselves into small strips called places. These places make strange angles and curves. One street crosses itself at time or two. An artist once discovered a valuable possibility in this street. Suppose a collector with a bill for paints, paper, and canvas should, in traversing this route, suddenly meet himself coming back, without a cent having been paid on account. So, to quaint old Greenwich Village, the art people soon came proud, hunting for north windows and 18th century gables and Dutch attics and low rents. Then they imported some pewter mugs and a chafing dish or two from 6th Avenue and became a colony. At the top of a squatty, three-story brick, Sue and Johnsy had their studio. Johnsy was familiar for Joanne. One was from Maine, the other from California. They had met at the table date of an eight-strength Delmonico's and found their tastes in art, chicory salad, and bishop's leaves so congenial that the joint studio result. That was in May. In November, a cold, unseen stranger, whom the doctors called pneumonia, stalked about the colony, touching one here and there with his icy fingers. Over on the east side, this ravager strode boldly, smiting his victims by scores, but his feet trod slowly through the maze of the narrow and moss-grown places. Mr. Pneumonia was not what you call a chivalric old gentleman. The might of a little woman, with blood thinned by California's zephyrs, was hardly fair game for the red-fisted, short-breathed old duffer. But Johnsy, he smote, and she lay, scarcely moving, on her painted iron bedstead, looking through the small Dutch window panes at the blank side of the next brick house. One morning, the busy doctor invited Sue into the hallway with a shaggy, gray eyebrow. She has one chance in, let us say, ten, he said, took down the mercury in his clinical thermometer. And that chance is for her to want to live. This way people have of lining you on the side of the undertaker, this way people have of lining up on the side of the undertaker makes the entire pharmacopoeia look silly. Your little lady has made up her mind that she's not going to get well. Has she anything on her mind? She she wanted to paint the Bay of Naples someday, said Sue. Paint? Bosh. Has she anything on her mind worth thinking twice? A man, for instance. A man, said Sue. Is a man worth? But no, doctor, there's nothing of the kind. Well, it is the weakness then, said the doctor. I will do all that science, so far as it may filter through my efforts, can accomplish. But whenever my patient begins to court the carriages in her funeral procession, 
I subtract 50% from the curative power of medicines. If you will get her to ask one question about the new winter styles and cloak sleeves, I will promise you a one in five chance for her, instead of one in ten. After the doctor had gone, Sue went into the workroom and cried a Japanese napkin to a pulp. Then she swaggered into Johnsy's room with her drawing board, whistling rag. Johnsy lay, scarcely making a ripple under the bedclothes, with her face toward the window. Sue stopped whistling, thinking she was asleep. She arranged her board and began a pen and ink drawing to illustrate a magazine story. Young artists must pave their way to art by drawing pictures for magazine stories that young authors write to pave their way literature. As Sue was sketching a pair of elegant horseshoe riding trousers and a monocle of the figure of the hero, an Idaho cowboy, she heard a low sound several times repeated. She went quickly to the bedside. Johnsy's eyes were open wide. She was looking out the window and counting. Counting backward. Twelve. A little later, eleven. And then, ten. Nine. And then, eight. And seven, almost together. Sue looked solicitously out of the window. What was there to count? There was only a bare, dreary yard to be seen, and a blank side of the brick house twenty feet away. An old, old ivy vine, gnarled and decayed at the roots, climbed halfway up the brick wall. The cold breath of autumn had stricken its leaves from the vine until its skeleton branches clung, almost bare, to the crumbling bricks. What is it, dear? asked Sue. Six, said John Z in almost a whisper. They're falling faster. Three days ago, there were almost a hundred. It made my headache to count them, but now it's easy. There goes another one. There are only five left now. Five what, dear? Tell your Sudi. Leaves on the ivy vine. When the last one falls, I must go too. I've known that for three days. Didn't the doctor tell you? Oh, I never heard of such nonsense, complained Sue, with magnificence gone. What have old ivy leaves to do with your getting well? And you used to love that vine so, you naughty. Don't be a goosey. Why, the doctor told me this morning that your chances for getting well real soon were... Let's see exactly what he said. He said the chances were ten to one. Why, that's almost as good a chance as we have in New York when we ride on the streetcars or walk past a new building. Try to take some broth now and let Sudi go back to her drawing so she can sell the editor man with it and buy port wine for her sick child and pork chops for her greedy self. You needn't get any more wine, said Johnsy keeping her eyes fixed out the window. There goes another. No. I don't want any broth. That leaves just four. I want to see the last one fall before it gets dark. Then I'll go too. Johnsy, dear, said Sue, bending over her. Will you promise me to keep your eyes closed and 
not look out the window until I'm done working. I must hand these drawings in by tomorrow. I need the light or I would draw the shade down. Couldn't you draw in the other room? asked Johnsy, coldly. I'd rather be here by you, said Sue. Besides, I don't want you to keep looking at those silly ivy leaves. Tell me as soon as you are finished, said Johnsy, closing her eyes and lying white and still as a fallen statue. Because I want to see the last one fall. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of thinking. I want to turn loose my hold on everything and go sailing down, just like one of those poor, tired leaves. Try to sleep, said Sue. I must call Behrman up to be my model for the old hermit miner. I'll not be gone a minute. Don't try to move till I come back. Old Behrman was a painter who lived on the ground floor beneath them. He was past sixty and had a Michelangelo's Moses beard curling down from the head of a cider along with the body of an imp. Behrman was a failure in it. Forty years he had wielded the brush without getting near enough to touch the hem of his mistress's robe. He had been always about to paint a masterpiece, but had never yet begun it. For several years he had painted nothing except now and a daub in the line of commerce or advertising. He earned a little by serving as a model to those young artists in the colony who could not pay the price of a profession. He drank gin to excess and still talked of his coming masterpiece. For the rest, he was a fierce little old man who scoffed terribly at softness in anyone and who regarded himself as a special mastiff-in-waiting to protect the two young artists in the studio above. Sue found Behrman smelling strongly of juniper berries in his dimly lighted den below. In one corner was a blank canvas on an easel that had been waiting there for twenty-five years to receive the first line of the masterpiece. She told him of John Z's fancy and how she feared she would, indeed, light and fragile as a leaf herself, float away when her slight hold upon the world grew weaker. Old Behrman, with his red eyes plainly streaming, shouted his contempt and derision for such idiotic imaginings. Vas, he cried, is there people in the world with the foolishness to die because leaves they draw off from a confounded vine? I have not heard of such a thing. No, I will not pose as a model for your fool hermit thunderhead. Why do you allow that silly business to come in that brain of her? Ah, that poor little Miss Yonze. She is very ill and weak, said Sue. And the fever has left her mind morbid and full of strange fancies. Very well, Mr. Behrman. If you do not care to pose for me, you needn't. But I think you are a horrid old, old flibbity-gibbet. You are just like a woman, yelled. Who said I will not pose? Go on, I come at you. For half an hour I've been trying to say that I am ready to pose. God, this is not any place in one so good as Miss Yonzi shall lie sick. One day I will bend a masterpiece and we shall all go away. God, yes. Johnsy was sleeping when they went upstairs. Sue pulled the shade down to the windowsill and motioned Berman into the other room. 
and there they peered out the window fearfully at the ivy vine. Then they looked at each other for a moment without speaking. A persistent, cold rain was falling, mingled with snow. Behrman, in his old blue shirt, took his seat as the hermit miner on an upturned kettle for a rock. When Sue awoke from an hour's sleep the next morning, she found Johnsy with dull, wide-open eyes staring at the drawn green shade. Pull it up. I want to see, she ordered in a whisper. Wearily, Sue opened, but lo, after the beating rain and fierce gusts of wind that had endured through the live-long night, there yet stood out against the brick wall one ivy leaf. It was the last one on the vine, still dark green near its stem, with the serrated edges tinted with the yellow of dissolution and decay. It hung bravely from the branch some twenty feet above the ground. It is the last one, said Johnsy. Thought it would surely fall during the night. I heard the wind. It will fall to I shall die at the same time. Dear, dear, said Sue, leaning her worn face down to the pillow. Think of me if you won't think of yourself. What would I do? But Johnsy did. The lonesomest thing in all the world is a soul when it is ready to go on its mysterious, far journey. The fancy seemed to possess her more strongly as one by one the ties that bound her to friendship and to earth were loosed. The day wore away, and even through the twilight they could see the lone ivy leaf clinging to its stem against the wall. And then, with the coming of the night, the north wind was again loosed, while the rain still beat against the windows and pattered down from the low Dutch eaves. When it was light enough, John Z, the merciless, commanded that the shade be raised. The ivy leaf was still there. John Z lay for a long time looking at it, and then she called to Sue, who was stirring her chicken broth over the gas stove. I've been a bad girl, Sooty, said John Z. Something has made that last leaf stay there to show me how wicked I was. It is a sin to want to die. You may bring me a little broth, some milk with a little port in it, and... No, bring me a hand mirror first, and then pack some pillows about me, and I will sit up and watch you cook. An hour later, she said, Sudi, one day I hope to paint the Bay of Naples. The doctor came in the afternoon. Doctor came in the afternoon, and Sue had an excuse to go into the hallway as he left. Even chances, said the doctor, taking Sue's thin, shaking hand in his. With good nursing, you'll win. And now I must see another case I have downstairs. Behrman, his name is, some kind of an artist. I'm pneumonia, too. He is an old, weak man, and the attack is acute. There is no hope for him, but he goes to the hospital today to be made more comfortable. The next day, the doctor said to Sue, She's out of danger. You won. Nutrition and care now, that's all. And that afternoon, Sue came to the bed where John Z lay, contentedly knitting a very blue and very useless woolen shoulder scarf and put one arm around her, pillows and all. 
I have something to tell you, White Mouse, she said. Mr. Behrman died of pneumonia today in the hospital. He was ill only two days. The janitor found him the morning of the first day in his room, downstairs, helpless with pain. His shoes and clothing were wet through and icy cold. They couldn't imagine where he had been on such a dreadful night. And then they found a lantern still lighted, and a ladder that had been dragged from its place, and some scattered brushes, and a palette with green and yellow colors mixed on it. And look out the window, the last ivy leaf on the wall. Didn't you wonder why it never fluttered or moved when the wind blew? Ah, darling, it's Behrman's masterpiece. He painted it there the night the last leaf fell. We've all had this type of situation where someone wants to give up. And you have to convince them that they need to fight. We can fight for them, but ultimately, it is up to them to want to fight, to see another day. I want to remind you that we're always on the hunt for great stories like this one to feature on the podcast. You can email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of selected stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bbjbedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)